0: It's the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa podcast. Brought to you by the good folks at Bet Rivers. And remember, for all of your wagering needs, it's Bet Rivers in New York and New Jersey. Play Sugar House in Connecticut. We are a couple days from opening day, and Yankee fans are already celebrating. Collectives going gaga here and there and everywhere as the Volpe era begins uh, after a stellar spring. You know, on base percentage over four hundred. Five steals, three homers, a 300 batting average. The Yankees did what they had to do, and that is uh, they announced that Volpe will be their starting shortstop. Uh, It had to happen. And also it it gives the Yankees and it gives the Yankee fan base a young player to be energized about, a new player to be energized about, and uh, that's exactly what the Yankee team needed. They needed that new face, and now they have it. And listen – He might hit May and be hitting 120. It happens. It's happened to great players before. You know, and it'll happen to other guys. Mickey Mantle, you know, went down and thought of quitting. Okay? Came back a couple of months later, went to the World Series, and the rest is history. All right, So it happens to plenty of guys who go up and then go back down the first time. So it's not the end of the world if it happens. If he gets off and goes into an over 30 slump, it happens. The bottom line is we'll see how his first year is. You don't know. It's usually the sophomore jinx more than anything else. But it has happened to guys in their first year, so we'll see what happens. But he earned the spot. They gave him a chance to win it. He won it. He won it fair and square. They need what he brings to the team, and he will be there opening day. Now to the Final Four in this craziest of tournaments. And yesterday just added to the craziness. That's all you can say. As the underdog won in both games, a crazy finish in the San Diego State game. I mean, to see them, to see San Diego State play ultra good, I mean, almost amazing defense against a very good offensive Creighton team in the second half and take the lead and be in a commanding position and then not inbounding the ball properly uh, and giving up a game-tying basket and then a controversial foul and then a crazy inbound play. So you had everything there, and what you wound up with is a San Diego State win. So uh, San Diego State with their defense, a physical team, Uh, won some very tough games, including a really tough game against Creighton yesterday, tough loss for Creighton, and now it'll be San Diego State and Florida State on that side of the bracket, and you will have a Cinderella in the championship game, no matter which team it is. UConn will obviously be favored to win the whole thing, but Miami deserves plenty of respect after turning back a Texas team, which basically looked unbeatable 25 minutes into the game. And then Miami just put forth an incredible performance uh, in terms of what they did on on the foul line. I mean, just a remarkable. 28 of 32 from the foul line, hitting all those free throws, and Miller having a game that will be remembered forever. 27 points, 7 for 7 from the floor, 13 for 13 from the foul line, the perfect game as five players in double figures uh, led to a Miami comeback and a win over a very, very good Texas team. So you have the number four seed, Yukon coming out of the West, the number five seed, Miami, coming out of the Midwest. They will tangle in the final four. And then you have the number nine Florida Atlantic team coming out of the East, and number five San Diego State, out of a conference that hasn't won a whole lot of games in the NCAA tournament, now taking it to the Final Four, a program built by Steve Fisher and now carried on by Dutcher, and now San Diego State, which is a brilliant defensive team. Uh, has trouble scoring, but is a terrific defensive team, will take on Florida Atlantic. And like we said, whether it's Florida Atlantic or San Diego State in the final, they will be the underdog, especially if it's UConn. But listen, after you've seen Miami do what they do, they're going to be an interesting matchup for UConn. And Miami is going to get a lot of attention as being the model because they are the team that everyone is pointing to. They are the NIL team that everyone is pointing to, that Beheim talked about. And then he mentioned a couple of teams that he shouldn't have mentioned. Okay? He did do that. But Miami, behind a billionaire booster named John Ruiz, has spent a lot of money on players. Ruiz's company gave, packed a two-year, $800,000 name, image, and likeness deal. Wong and Miller and at least one other player have all got deals with Ruiz's company. Okay? Uh, he also has deals with women on, on the Miami women's team that played well in the tournament. So they have become the poster child for the new way of doing things. And let's be honest, the way that Rick Pitino intends to do it at St. John's, they are going to use the NIL, which is legal. The NIL is legal. So they are going to use the NIL process to develop this team very quickly to recruit guys to the team. And it's not illegal. You might call it unsavory. You might not like the way it goes now. I understand that. If you like college sports back in the 50s where they wear their varsity letters and, you know, they hang out at the malt shop, sorry. That's not what happens now. Now they drive Lamborghinis. Now they drive Porsches, and they have NIL deals. That's the way it is, okay? Because they never could come to a way of actually taking care of the player with any ingenuity or any foresight. They allowed it to be a terrible system for a very long time until the courts changed it. The Obanian case changed everything, and now they are allowed to be paid for their name, image, and likeness, and it means you have players driving Lamborghinis, and it means you have players endorsing companies, Ridiculous companies for players, smart companies for players, athletic companies for players. But if you have a booster behind the program, as Mike Rapoli will be behind the St. John's basketball team, nothing wrong with it. It's the way of the world. It's the system that if you want the quick fix now, and Rick Pitino is 71 years old, he wants the quick fix. He doesn't want to sit around and build a program and develop players for three years. He has no intention of doing that. He intends on doing it in two minutes by recruiting the right players. And Miami has a team of it, and they're in the Final Four. And let's for a second give Jimmy Laranega credit because whether everybody just badly underrated Miami or they did it themselves, the bottom line is Jimmy Laranega became the fourth coach in history to take two teams, seeded f- number five or lower to the final four. Mr. March Tom Izzo, has taken three. Three times he has taken Michigan State at five or lower to the final four. Laranega took George Mason, if I remember back without going to look it up, I think they were an 11 seed in 2006. And now he's taking Miami as a five seed. Brad Stevens twice took Butler. And Larry Brown took UCLA in Kansas. And he won the championship with Kansas. And almost won the championship with UCLA And Kiki Bandaway. Won the championship with Danny Manning in Kansas. Danny and the Miracles. Almost won it with Kiki and four freshmen, Rod Forster, that great team. Kiki hadn't gotten hurt. They probably would have won the championship. And with Kansas, he took it all the way, beat Oklahoma in the championship game, and uh, went on to a championship. So he is the 15th coach to take two different teams to a Final Four, but the fourth to take two teams seated five or lower to the Final Four. And this year you have a four, a five, a five, and a nine in what is the most open Final Four in the history of the sport, although UConn has played like a top team. In December, they were the best team in the country. They went into a slump in the Big East, lost seven games. And since they've gotten out of the conference, they've looked like the best team in the country again. Are they going to take that into the Final Four? We will see. They've won every game by at least 15 points. They deserve to be favored. They are favored. That's what you would expect. Looking at the Vet uh, Rivers numbers this morning to give you an idea, and let's use the uh, the uh, what we consider our official numbers, the bet rivers numbers we will give them to you as soon as I uh, call them up here. Um, Final four here we go. San Diego State is a two point favorite over Florida, and Yukon is a five and a half point favorite. You knew they would be they would get a big bump off the dominant win over Gonzaga. You knew they would be a bigger favorite than most have been because the underdogs have been so rampant in this tournament that uh, the lines have been rather low, but you knew that it would jump up and would stay somewhere around five or six. Right now it's five and a half against Miami, which is a very, very dangerous team as you've seen and what they did in the last 10 minutes of the game against uh, a very good Texas team yesterday. So San Diego state's favored over Florida Atlantic by two points and UConn is favored by five and a half points, both games coming up Saturday starting at six o'clock at night, first game followed by the second game. And then Monday night, a championship and next week really from this Thursday to the following Sunday, which is Easter Sunday, one of the great weeks in sports in this country. You have opening day this Thursday. You have the Final Four Saturday. You have the championship game on Monday night. And then you have the Masters on Thursday. So it is one of the great 10-day periods in sports in our country. As we bring baseball back, And we have the Final Four, which is one of the great events. If you've never been to it, please go to it once if you can get a chance. Uh, If it comes to a city near you or you get a chance to be in that city or your school goes, it's worth seeing one time. The Saturday is one of the great bits of Americana in all of American sports. Saturday is an event. Monday night's a basketball game. I've said that many times. First of all, on Saturday, it's a, four schools an hour before the game taking the top off the place because they're just completely pumped with anticipation that this is the year for their school. No matter what the scenario is, they made the final four, for them. now they believe in everything. Anything is possible. And you have the four different schools. You have all the coaches in America in the building. And then, on Monday night, everybody everybody uh goes home. So what happens is you have two teams that go home on Sunday, which means it's a whole different audience on Monday night in the building, and then all the coaches go home and watch at home on Monday night, so they're there, which is the convention is what it is, you know for basketball. All divisions, Division One, Division Two, Division Three. The Final Four is a basketball convention for days. And, you know, it's just like the Super Bowl in terms of how big it is. Not as big as the Super Bowl, but it's big. And then on Saturday, you have the event day, and then everybody leaves town except the two teams that are going to play a basketball game for a championship on Monday night. And that is the way it works. And so the Saturday, the Saturday event is one of the real special events you will ever see. And it is worth getting there and getting a chance to see if you can do it. Because uh, I tell you, it's, it's special. It really is. Um, I would tell you to see a Kentucky Derby, which is probably for a big crowd and usually somewhere around 150,000 people, the best run event I've ever attended because it doesn't even seem crowded with 150,000 people in the building and in the, you know, adjoining grounds in the infield and around the area. I mean, it is amazing. Uh, And the excitement that builds up to that race is just extraordinary. Uh, I've been there in my life three times live. I've said, I'm not going back until I put a horse in the gate. I have never been able to do that. I'm not going back until I do. Um, So, Uh, from that standpoint, we still have to wait. We thought we were going to be there, uh, you know, a couple times, but it hasn't happened. That's why it's so hard to do. Um, but it's a very, very special event as is, as is the final four. So that's where we are. We'll have baseball this week. As a matter of fact, we'll have a podcast we'll put up tomorrow previewing baseball with bobby valentine we'll have some picks this week for you, over-unders everything else uh talk about different things the rule changes everything that is coming your way in baseball so obviously uh a very different year an interesting year in baseball from that standpoint uh and we'll see where that takes us as a matter of fact so uh when we come back some email. You're listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Emails at Mike Francesa podcast at gmail.com. Send them along. We'll get to as many as we can. Chris from New York. What are the realistic expectations for Bope? I'm concerned that they will be too high. Hey, listen, who cares what they are? Make them whatever you want them to be. Make them rookie of the year. Make them whatever you want them to be. And let's see what he does. He's shown power and speed. He gets on base. He's shown what he can be as an offensive player. He makes the plays at shortstop. We'll see what happens. Don't expect crazy numbers this first year, but let's see if he proves he belongs right away. That's the key because you're not bringing him up here to sit on the bench. So he's got to prove he belongs. He's got to be able to make the plays defensively at shortstop because it is shortstop. He's got to make the plays. And then obviously in a year where there's going to be a lot more stolen bases, he has shown speed and on base percentage and power to, and bring that to the spark to the lineup. Andrew in Williston Park, do you think spring training will ever be shortened or changed? Um, I don't see why it should be uh, or needs to be. Spring training is basically to get your pitching staff in order, it's to cut a roster. If you have a team that has a lot of question marks, you can look at young players. And it is a chance to take six weeks, seven weeks to get your pitches in shape. That's all it's about. Your regulars can get in shape. They could get in shape in three weeks. Most of these guys now, because they don't have to do anything else the rest of the year, they're in shape every day of the year. They work out every day of the year. They take maybe a week off sometime in the off-season or a week after the season ends or Christmas. But other than that, they work out all the time religiously. These guys are workout freaks. They have plenty of money. They don't have to do anything else. So they never are out of shape. Spring training used to be for guys to go down and get in shape, knock off 10 or 12 winter pounds. They don't do that stuff anymore. They don't ever get out of shape. So it's changed dramatically, and what it's about is just getting you're taking a look at young players because that's where Volpe makes the team. And also just getting your pitching ready for the season. That's what your job is. That's what you're there to do is get your pitching. Because baseball, let's be honest, any way you cut it, any way you slice it, baseball is about pitching. Always has been, always will be. Steven emails as Florida Atlantic Advances... They have become the darlings of the tournament. Um, I don't know if they have or not. I think there's a lot of darlings in this tournament, as a matter of fact. Looking back on history with the tournament, what is the most impressive national championship you have ever witnessed? Mm. Most impressive in terms of unlikeliness? There have been a couple of those. I mentioned one just a little while ago, Larry Brown with Danny and the Miracles. That bracket cleaned out for them. Didn't have to face a couple of the top teams. Made it there. Were big on the dogs in the championship game and then won it because of the brilliance of Danny Manning. And Milt Luton played really well, too. Um, That would be one. Um, We had some epic battles. You know, we had Ewing Lajuan. You know, we had Louisville against Phi Slammer Jamma. I mean, uh we had some classic upsets, Villanova against Georgetown. That was a very the two right in a row, the big upsets. NC State upending Phi Slammer Jamma when they looked unbeatable, and Villanova and Harold Jensen beating Georgetown when Georgetown in Ewing senior year, looked invincible. Those were two that really stood out and I think helped make the tournament. That's when the tournament exploded, and I think that really helped make the tournament. First the Jordan shot in the great Carolina-Georgetown game, then the Carolina State upset, then the Villanova upset. I think that really launched the tournament into a place where uh, it just went into the stratosphere. Andy, I used to really enjoy uh, your mic'd-up show on NBC. Any interest in doing a similar TV show like that again in the future? I, I would doubt it. Um, you know, you got to understand, one of the biggest reasons and NBC gave me that forum, paid me and gave me a very cherished spot and a slot that I'm proud to say has been kept as a sports show all these years later when nobody at NBC thought that a sports show would do well there. And we had great ratings there for like seven years. Bruce Beck always filled in and he has carried on the tradition for a very, very long time and has had a very successful show there. Um, So we proved that it could work. I always thought it would because of Sports Extra. I grew up watching Sports Extra with Bill Major, so I thought that we could do the same thing. But the appeal was that I was – the morning guy in the afternoon for all those years and got a lot of attention at this point, I'm not as visible. So it wouldn't make as much sense as having me now as would then. And frankly, I just don't see me doing anything. I mean, I'm doing what I do now and I I love doing it. Uh, Doing the podcast keeps me involved, gives me a chance to uh, opine on what I want to opine on. Um, uh, And it's great. And it's it's actually enough. I mean, I've been given a, I've had a couple of offers in the last couple of months. I've turned them all down. Uh, anybody that's asked me for steady work or do something Monday, Friday, I've said no. And But I have received a bunch of offers in the last couple of months, but I, I've said no, to be honest with you. Uh, it would have to be something very unusual for me to do on any regular basis. Um, do you think the transfer portal will destroy college sports? It's not pretty. It's going to look very unsavory to a lot of people. It's going to receive a lot of criticism. The idea of pirating. See, right now, it's not just allowing players movement. We're now into open pirating of players. You're trying to steal players from other schools, schools are stealing players from schools, players that may not maybe really talented who haven't found their niche at a certain school. They're, they're mocked. But even guys who have done well, Hey, you know what? You got a year of eligibility. Join me, join me. Here you go. Boom, boom. And it's not exactly what they wanted. They wanted to give the player a chance to move, they didn't want this to be openly the open pirating of players, and that's what we have now. So it's not going to be a pretty system, but I, there's no way to put it back in put the genie back in the bottle. Uh, Josie asked, "Can you talk about when you worked for MSG early in your career?" My grandfather told me you did a show from there a long time ago. Well, I did. Um, they opened a restaurant at the garden called the play-by-play. And they wanted, the restaurant wasn't doing any business. So they decided, what if we put a, a show in the play-by-play after Nick and Ranger home games? And we, you know, help provide guests to come in as, to watch the games. Who will come on the show? And also, you you know have Nixon Rangers on the show. Well, uh, we did the play by play for about three or four years. We did it in the. I did the pl- live, from, so they hired me to do live from the play by play, and I did it after Nick games, and a lot of Ranger games. Not all Ranger games, all Nick games, and. Monday to Friday, and most Ranger games Monday to Friday, not all. And I also did all the playoff games. Now remember, in 2000, in uh, 1994, the year the Rangers won it in seven and the Knicks lost it in seven, there were 25 games played at Madison Square Garden, almost all of them. The ones that were played on Saturday and Sunday, I did not do play-by-play. The rest, I did play-by-play for. I did something like 20 or 19 postseason games. I did like 80 shows one year. So uh, that was the highest. That was 94. We would have – they would have to close the play-by-play. We had sometimes so many people in the play-by-play and waiting to get in. I mean, we had great guests. We had, you know, at the time, Bill Cosby was the top. Um, we had heavyweight champions. We had movie stars. We had comedians. We had all the top Knicks and Rangers. Um, Pat Riley never came up to the play-by-play. Um, the Rangers did. Their coach did. Pat didn't. Um, some of the teams then felt that their players were hanging out too much at the play-by-play and didn't want them up there at the end, the last year. They felt they were up there too much. And that kind of changed with a change in leadership. They, they didn't want the players involved after that, and that was my last year. And, but we had like two or three years where it was really big, and then it tailed off a little bit the last year. I think I did it four years. It might have been three, but I think it was four. But when I did it, it included the crazy year of 94. And I tell you, the night the, night, um, the club restaurant was next door, and the Rangers had the cup in there with the team, and they were having a party <clears throat> while we were on the air, the night they won the cup. And that was just insane. I mean, just insanity in there. So we had some wild nights in there. We really did. And uh, some wild shows. So I did do it for three or four years, and then it went away. Um, I'm only 25 years old. Uh, Too young to have watched Willis Reed. I thought you did a great job telling the story of the 60s and 70s. Well, thank you. Um, I got a lot of mention about that. I don't know who covered that well or not, but... That's where, if you have someone who's old enough to be around for those days, and those were special days, Willis Reed's passing affected anybody who is my age dramatically because he was that big. I mean, the biggest passing we've ever had was Mickey Mantle. I mean, we did it for a week. It went on for a week. We've never seen anything like the outpouring from that. But Willis Reed had a huge impact in the city, and so did that team. That was a very special championship team. Highly regarded, uh, revered, more than anything else. Uh, But thank you for that. Does Zach Wilson have a future in the NFL? Um, I don't know. He really, really needs a lot of work. We saw him get to a point where he was performing on a level that was not NFL quality. Um, now we all await this Aaron Rodgers thing. Hopefully, the Jets can keep their first round pick and get him for a two. See, way I would make it now is I would hope they're on to a point where the Jets are going to keep their first round pick this year. And then the question is this, let's say they give them the two this year. Are they going to give them the one or the two next year? You don't want to give them the one this year. You want to be able to draft a player and giving up any of their top young players is out of the question. Giving up a Hall or a Wilson, uh, Forget Gardner, no one's going to give up Gardner. But I'm just saying, even Wilson, no one's going to give up Wilson. Um, They need that pick. So if they can keep that first-round pick, I think they did okay. You'd like to get away with not giving out a one at all. But I actually am of the opinion that Rodgers will be here longer than you think. Most people say he'll be here a year. I don't think he'll be here a year. I think he'll probably be here three. We all know Judge is the guy uh, who is the guy, though, who could be the difference with the Yankees this year. Well, I don't think there is one guy. I think the Yankees are built to win their 90-plus games. They're going to get a break from the schedule this year. It's going to actually increase their win total. Um, so they're going to win plenty of games. The question is going to be, are they going to be built to be able to handle the Astros in the postseason? I don't know that they're going to be able to do that. I would say right now they have not changed enough or improved enough to do that. We'll see if that's the truth. You know, until they get by the Astros, it's become a very, very tough thing for them to deal with and uh, very, very tough weight that it has put on the postseason. And the Yankee fans who want to get their backs up because they feel the Yankees are... uh, People are being overly critical of the Yankees because we talk about how long it's been since they went to the World Series. Nonsense. In the way baseball is now, the Yankees are built to win a lot of games every year. They're going to spend the money to win games just like the Mets are. There's no great accomplishment in that after a couple of seasons. It's become the standard. You spend the money, you make the, you make the grade, and then you try to perform in the postseason. But there should be a level of performance at some point in the postseason. You're the Yankees. Making the postseason isn't enough. Not being in the World Series and having this kind of drought is not acceptable. If it is, you're a Yankee fan who has changed the standards that which they have been built upon, especially after the way they performed in the late 90s and early 2000s, where they made the World Series in almost every year occurrence. If I told you the Yankees were going to have a drought and go to the World Series once in 20 years, you know what? You would have said you're out of your mind. And think about what we would be talking about if A-Rod had not had the postseason he had and they did not win the championship in 2009. 2009 they would be a very different configuration right now. That championship saved a lot of jobs and changed a lot of things for this franchise. Because if it didn't happen, you would be talking about not having won a championship in 20-something years, which has never happened in the last 100 years of Yankee baseball. So it would have been completely, completely game changing. I mean, when you realize that, if you take that year out, look at what you're looking at. You're looking at 01, a loss. 03, a loss. And then getting back there in 09. This is from Danton. Does LeBron have anything left? Is it finally over? Oh, I think LeBron clearly has plenty left. Can he give you 82 games at that level anymore? No. Can he go out any given night and give you 30 points and 10 rebounds and 10 assists? Yes. Can he play well in the postseason with the games, you know, scheduled right? Yes. Are they a championship team? No. They are not. Because the biggest problem is Davis does Davis does not play to his best when LeBron is playing at full ball. They are not perfect together. The guy who should be the other guy, and Davis is, is a tremendous talent, but it doesn't work to the level it should with LeBron. But I don't think LeBron is done, but let's be honest. We are seeing the other side of the mountain now. The years of complete and utter dominance are over. The years of MVPs are over. I mean, he's already done everything you could ever hope to do. If he has a goal now, I gather it's just to play with his son. It's the only goal he has, I gather. I'm sure he'd like to win another championship. Everybody would. He doesn't have to win anymore. He doesn't have to win any more anything. He's already one of the five best players of all time. That's not even an issue.